Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's Good morning. sermon. Good morning. Bryce, great to be with you this morning. I'm honored to, to be here. I know we have, might have some new friends and guests here. Welcome to New Vision Church. We're excited for you to be here this morning. Hey, if you've been with us, you're here with us for the first time, I always give a challenge out, and this is my challenge to you, is just give us three weeks. If New Vision is not the place for you, we'll help you find a place. But we'll welcome you here uh, with us this morning. Um, we also want to invite you to stay for the barbecue after. We just wanted to love on our neighbors, just bless them. Um, just get to know them. You know, we've gotten away from just getting away from community in our neighborhoods. We, we have our neighborhoods, but we don't even know our neighbors. And so we wanted to just take time to get to know our neighbors. So thank you for coming today. If you're here this morning, I know we're going to meet some uh, new neighbors today. I, I want to challenge you, New Vision family, I want to encourage you also that you could stay after, partake, and just be out. Um, we have flyers too. If you Next week is Easter Sunday. I want to invite you to come to Easter services uh, to, to join us and, and be a part of that. Um, but we'll also need some of you guys to help us jump in and help make sure the food's getting out and things out. Don't You, you know, our church, we are moving church, so we, don't, we need to sit in church because we just want to be show some hospitality to our neighbors. So I just want to be able to encourage that as your pastor to, to, to just love on your, your, the neighbors that are around us. Amen? I think if, if we just did a little bit that uh, in our world today, how much more effective will we be in, in, in what's going on in our, in our communities? Cool, cool, cool. Hey, um, turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 19. We're moving through the gospel. For those that haven't been with us a while, we've been journeying through the gospel. It's in the New Testament. It's the fourth book over, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 24 this morning. As you saw, who's your one? We've been talking about who's your one. You might be the one today we've been praying for. And so this morning, we've been through this journey this last month. We've been talking about who's your one going to pray for, who's your one going to be bold in, who's your one um, they're going to love on. Uh, uh, who, this morning, who's your one to let them know that God is now here, that God is now here this morning. And so we're going to look at that this morning as we journey into um, that. We've been journeying through this gospel. As many of you know, this is Palm Sunday. If, you're, if you've been traditionally going to church uh, growing up, you used to have the palms and they used to raise them. So this is, a, in some way, historically, the, the week before Jesus goes to the cross. Um, though we've been journeying, that's found in John chapter 12 as uh, a miss. Ms. Beck read this morning, and, and, and that was Jesus last week. So when you look at the Gospel of John from chapter 12 all the way to the end of the chapter, it's really mostly focusing on his last week of his life, right before he goes to the cross. We're in the story now where he's going to be crucified, where he's before Pilate, and we're looking at that story this morning. Um, this week has, has, has been a hard week, I think. Um, we heard the shooting that happened in, in Tennessee where six people were killed, right? Three children and, and three adults by the hands of a, a confused uh, a woman that was there. A year ago, less than a year ago, we watched Uvalde in Texas, where over, we lost over 20 kids and adults uh, in that. We watched in storms, ravaged the north, tornadoes, devastating homes and killing over 20 people in the east. We watched wa the war progress in Ukraine and tensions mounting around the world. Our economy is kind of going crazy right now. Major moral decisions are got to be made in uh, by our Supreme Court. We're and now, in about a year, we're going to be facing some more political storms. I can see why people say 
God is nowhere. God is nowhere. But this morning, I want you to begin to change your lens a little bit, okay? Because apart from God, things look hopeless. They look painful, fearful, desperate. Um, we think that we have the knowledge to, to fix things and, and we have the resources to change things, but knowledge of money has not changed anything. <laughs> In fact, the human, to the human wisdom, we're just chasing the wind. We're just chasing the wind. And the further we get away from the garden, the Garden of Eden, the worse we have become. Our nation is a dysfunctional nation. And brokennesses cannot fix brokenness. And, and wounded people only wound people. So where's the hope in all this? Where is it? I want you to change your lenses this morning. I want you to remove the black and white color, rearrange your view in, the, in light of faith, and read again, God is now here. Change the words a little bit. Change your narrative a little bit. God is now here. In fact, in chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, we see hope, but yet we see suffering of the Messiah, a picture of pain, injustice, hatred, and loss. We see depravity and corruption of humanity. We see the failure of leadership and the greed of men. But what you may not see is that God is here. He's here now. Jesus is going through the pains that we have all felt in life, right? Why? Because we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and pain. And Jesus is now here to be the remedy for our sin and dysfunction as a, as a people. Jesus is now here to experience the physical and verbal abuse of men, to experience the greatest shame, so that we might obtain his redemption through repentance and reconciliation through the cross to transform us, to make us a new creation, to be ambassadors for the sake of the cross and to love others. We are to let people know that God is now here. God is with you. He is, he is Emmanuel, God with you. He has not forsaken us. He's not forsaken me. He's not forsaken you. He is present in our pain and our struggle. He has prepared us as a church for such a time as this. This is the moment. God is with us. He is here now. And that is our message for our neighbors today. As a church, we're here to encourage the people that God is here. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. He has you in his mind, in his heart. Chapter 18 closes, John chapter 18 closes with Jesus before Pilate as he's being judged in the praetorium or the judgment hall, right? They, in that judgment hall, the Jews called him an evildoer and they wanted him dead. And now we come to chapter 19. But yet we miss, we miss a piece a little bit in the story because in the story, in the first five books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they're telling the story of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. John doesn't go into the detail here, but between chapter 18 and 19, before he comes back to Pilate, because this is second appearance of Jesus before Pilate, he has to go to King Herod. <laughs> and he go, they send him to King Herod, they lead him to King Herod, and King Herod is so excited to see who this Jesus is because Jesus has a reputation before that area. 
because he's done great miracles. He's, he's healed the blind. He's raised the lame. He's raised the dead to life by this point. This is at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life. And, and so Herod is excited to see Jesus because Herod wanted Jesus to, to perform some miracles in front of him. He wanted Jesus to put on a sideshow for him. And so, he, so Jesus shows. And, and Herod begins to interrogate him. He begins to ask him, are you the king? Can you do miracles? And Jesus says nothing to him. Doesn't even respond. And, and, and the fact is this, that Herod, King Herod is not even impressed with Jesus because Jesus did nothing before him. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't come to impress us, but to save us. Jesus wasn't a, 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 a sideshow. He came to sacrifice himself for us. That was his purpose in his coming. So I want to pray this morning. We're going to get into the passage. I'm going to ask God just to bring revelation. Father, heaven, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for all that are here this morning, that they've given their time to come and listen to your word. You said in your Bible that those who hear my word, there's a blessing. It's a blessing are those who hear the word of God. I'm praying that each one in this room, God, you have a blessing for them because they're coming to listen to what you have to say through your word. So I, I pray that you would take the words that are written on paper and make them come alive. Father, we're praying that you take the words that we're going to study, that they're just not words that just historical. They're words that can actually change our hearts and our minds. So change the lenses by which we're listening in our hearts that we can hear from you. I pray these things believing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. As we get into the text this morning, in the, in the first seven verses, we see that Jesus is given a death sentence. He's given a death sentence. I know, is there any Padre fans in here? All the Padre? This is opening weekend, right? I understand this is opening weekend, right? Uh, any SDSU fans in here? Right, last night, right? They won, they're going to the championship plane tomorrow, right? That last shot at the buzzer, the buzzer beater, Right? But here, we're thinking about the Padres open up, and for those that are, that are baseball players and followers, there's a strategy to the game, right? And there's a thing called a, a sacrificial bunt for those that played baseball, right? It's a term used in baseball for a player sacrificing himself. Literally, he goes to the plate if there's a, a man on third or a man on second, and they have to advance the player either to home plate to get a score, advance around the bases. He's willing to go to bat and sacrifice himself in the sense of giving up his stats, giving up his reputation, giving up everything to, to take the loss in order for the team to get the win. And what that means is he would go to the plate and the ball would be pitched and he would turn and he would put his bat down and he would hit the ball so it barely goes forward to advance the runner, either to score or move to the next place for the advantage and for the win of the team. He's willing to sacrifice himself for that. Jesus' death sentence was his sacrificial play for the advancement of his kingdom. Capital punishment was the, 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 the crucifixion was the capital punishment of the day. It's, and we're going to see that in a, more, in the, in a moment. It was, the, it was the means by which God the Father was to use his son to advance the kingdom for us, right? Capital punishment of that day, the crucifixion was our lethal injection today. It was like our electric chair today. But crucifixion is much more violent and brutal right? But Jesus' death sentence leads to our life sentence. What do you mean, Pastor Pete? It means we would have access to eternal life. 
life that's eternal. His suffering is for our salvation. His pain is for our gain. His loss is for our win. And he did it with all joy. Because the author of Hebrews says this, for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, him being beaten up, and has sat down at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because when he suffered, what allowed him to get through his suffering was you and me. That we were the joy set before him. Your face is what he had when he was going to the cross. Your face and the joy about who you were as he took the beatings is what kept him going. Because God is with us. God is now here. And he's here in that moment for us. And so what we see in the first three verses is that his sentence was a painful process. Because his pain is our gain, right? Look at verses one through three. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and and they put on him a purple robe and they said to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. They did three things, right? They scourged him. They crowned him. They mocked him. We see that in the text, right? Jesus is before Pilate, and we're going to see he's, he's being going to be conflicted in a moment, but he doesn't know what to do with Jesus. That's been an issue with Pilate the whole time. Man, the whole time he's seen Jesus as an innocent man. There's no fault in him. There's, he's done nothing right. He's been trying to get out of this situation with Jesus. And so he says, okay, let's just scourge Jesus. What does that mean, right? Scourging was a painful practice by the Roman government. And Father, the process of scourging was beating by leather whips. Think of, some of us, we think of a belt, right? But think of multiple belts on a, on a handle with rocks and stones. And they used to tie the criminal to a post, expose his back, and they used to take whips and lash his back. And the rock and the stones would go into the meat or the flesh, and when, he, when they pulled it back, it would literally rip the flesh off the back. The law said that when they did scourging, they couldn't exceed 40 lashes. So Jesus would get the full blow yet. 39 lashes on his back. Most criminals didn't get past this part of the capital punishment because ultimately this beating would often lead to death. They wouldn't, so most of them wouldn't even get to the cross. This process of crucifixion was for the, for the worst of worst criminals. In fact, the purpose of the scourging was to gain a confession from the criminal. Yet Jesus had committed no crime, so he took the full blow. There was nothing to confess on Jesus' part. Yet in all this, God had a perfect plan. In all this, God had a plan. We read this in 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we have died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. I want you to cast that by his stripes we are healed. He's actually quoting Isaiah 53.5. He's referencing Isaiah 53.5. Guys, we are going to take communion at the end. We usually do that. And the communion and the bread represents his broken body. It's a reminder of the scourging that he took. That's why we partake of the the body of the bread of Christ when we partake of communion. Jesus was aware of his painful future. And we know 
He prophesied that for those who like to keep notes, just reflect back on Matthew 20, 18, 19. He actually said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be, built, be beaten. I'm going to be scourged, and I'm going to resurrect again. He gives this, and he says this to the disciples. He reminds them three times before he goes to the cross what is to come. Jesus knew what was coming. What would you do if you knew when your death date was? How would you live? Jesus knew his death date. Jesus knew when he was going to die. Jesus knew it all. And yet, for the cross set before with all joy, he still went. Think about that for a moment. Have a Selah moment or a meditation on that for a moment. But in the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Isaiah who spoke about this specific event. We read in Isaiah 56. I gave my back, he says, the prophet's writing, 700 years before Jesus, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard and I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. The prophet spoke of this event 700 years before it even happened. So the scourging took place. The beating took place. When they did the beating, there are times, times they, they would cover his face and Jesus would be there and he you know, when, if somebody's going to hit us, we often could, you know, we'll take the blow, right? We're willing to, unless we get sucker punched. They were sucking punched Jesus sometimes. He would be back. They don't know where the punch is. They would just hit him. The guards and soldiers would hit him, and he didn't know. We already know that he's already been beaten before Pilate already once before, so he's already kind of jacked up, but they send him scourging, and there's a purpose. We'll see that in a minute. But not only do they, they, they scourge him, they crown him. The soldiers do, Right? The soldiers placed this earthly crown on the thorns of his head, and it was a, a thistle with these long thorns. Think about a rose bush that has smaller ones. How about, maybe some of you might have morning glories in your house. There are these flowers that grow, right? And the thorns are really, really long, because I used to have some growing up in my family, and I used to cut them. My dad used to make me cut them, and I used to cut up my hands. They got these thorns, and they, they shaped them like a crown, and then they put them on his head, and then they twisted it so that the thorns would go into his head, so not only is he bleeding, not only is his back open, not only is it all that, now it's being pressed into his skull and the blood is coming down his face. In fact, the Greek word for crown, because the Bible is written, New Testament written as Greek, means a mark of royalty. This crown is often given to the winner of the Olympic Games. Like he, his crown was supposed to be symbol of victory. The crown was supposed to be symbol like the, the gold medal. It's a, it's a winner's crown. Jesus will endure the pain to receive the winner's crown. <laughs> but I want you to see something in this. There's a promise for us that even in this pain, there's a promise, right? Because James gives a promise for those who endure in, our, in the pain, those who endure for this season will also receive a crown. It says here, James 1, 2, blessed is the man who endures temptation or struggles or trials or pain. For when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That the Bible actually says for us that come to faith when we, we go and be with heaven, that he's actually gonna gift us a crown. So the Bible teaches a winner's crown for us, not a crown of thorns but a crown of blessings, a crown for his gift, right? And then they clothed them in a, in a purple robe like royalty, right? They, and, they, and, and they would do is they, they clothed them and they, and they gave them this purple robe. It was a symbol of royalty. Kings used to wear purple because they were royalty. 
And so they fast him with this royal right because he's being crowned as a king. Mm. But many today who see Jesus, like the soldiers see Jesus, as a man and not a king, <laughs> right? And then they mocked him. So he's wearing this thorn on his head. They have a purple robe on there. He's all beaten and bloody, and now they're mocking him. They're ridiculing him, and, and they're still beating him, and they're shaming him before the people. They wanted to humiliate Jesus because the purpose of the crucifixion, the process of the cru crucifixion is to bring shame, is to bring shame to the criminal. To, sh to show the people in that area, look, if you mess with Rome, this is what's going to end up with you. We have full authority. We have full authority and power. And they're showing their power by the demonstration of pain on Jesus. Yet he took the shame on our behalf. And then Jesus would tell us that all who come to me, I will never put to shame. <laughs> the world will shame you. But Jesus said, I will never shame you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't know how dark it's been in your life. I don't care what your past is. He says, when you come to me by faith, I will never shame you. What that means is I'll never throw it back in your face. We as people can be vicious like the soldiers and throw people's past in their face. But God says, I'm never going to shame you. I love you that much. That's why later we'll read him, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even from the cross, he says, Please, Lord, don't put them to shame. Even in the shame things that they do. Cochinos. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm just like that. <laughs> Some of you know that, you know. In our mess, in our dirtiness, in all the crazy stuff that we do, God says, I still love you. I, I know you. <laughs> That's the love of God. Now, you know the crazy stuff your kids do, right? And they do some crazy, dirty, dumb things. You still love them. They're your kids. But you still discipline them because you love them. I'm not saying God's going to let you get away with what you're doing because he loves you. He'll have to put discipline down because he has to draw you back in. And what it is is, but what's going on in the story is that we've been unruly children. We've been rebellious children. Instead of us getting the discipline, Jesus is getting disciplined on our behalf. He's stepping on our behalf. That's the love of God. And then it says here, in all that's going on, they scourged him, they've done all these things, they're mocking him. Pilate is struggling with all. He's having conflict about Jesus. And we see that in verse four and five. He says, and Pilate then went out again and said to him, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple, and the potter said to him, Behold the man. Right? In, in Pilate's own heart and his own conscience, he knew that Jesus was innocent. He couldn't find anything wrong with him. All the accusations were false. There's false being fault witness where he was, mocking him. There's, he, he, he was innocent. And he realized that this was an, an unjust trial. I hope that injustice troubles your spirit because we live in a world that there is injustice, whether you want to believe it or not. There's some injustice in our systems, but that injustice should afflict us a little bit, should trouble us a little bit. But, and Pilate was struggling with that very issue as, a, as, a, as a, a man of judgment, as the governor who makes decisions about this man's life. 
And what was coming out of this scourging was that Pilate was hoped that the scourging would, would, would be enough to quench and satisfy the crowd's thirst for blood. Maybe if I scourge him, this would be enough to release him. And we see this intention because in the gospel, Luke telling this story, you read in Luke 23, 22, it says that then they said to the, them the third time, why, what evil has he done? And I found no reason for, for death in him. And I therefore chastise him, scourge him and let him go. So that was his heart. He wanted to say, I'll let him, I'll give him the belt and then we can release him, right? That, that punishment should be enough. That was, that was Pilate's way of dealing with the situation. But yet in the partnership with the Roman soldiers, Pilate paraded Jesus after the beating to say, okay, here's your man. Here's the one that you, here's the one that you have judged. Why? Because Roman law required a, a formal presentation of the prisoner. And so Pilate was only following protocol. This is what the process of the judicial system at that time, oh goodness, I had to bring the, the criminal before the people and say, this is my final judgment. But yet it was still making a mockery of him by parading him before the people. And he says, behold your man, right? Look at what you've done. He wants to make sure that those who are yelling, crucify, 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 are going to take ownership of their own actions. We know in Peter Acts chapter 5, when they're preaching the gospel and he's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and he confronts the religious leaders for the reason of the, of the crucifixion and what they did to Jesus, the religious leaders, the Jewish at that time, said, hey, hey, Peter, hey, man, don't put that blood on us. What Pilate's doing here is saying, I'm putting this blood on you. This blood is on your hands because later Pilate's going to want to wash his hands of the blood. His red stained hands won't be clean. And neither were those who that. And now people say, well, the Jews did it. No, we all did it. <laughs> he died for all. We have a little stain there, right? It's not a pomegranate stain. <laughs> we have a, we're all stained and stung by that. And we see that this, this process of the death sentence was emotional. It, 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 the pain was emotional. Look at 6 and 7. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him as he's standing out and said, this is your man, they saw him crying and saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, you take him and crucify him, for I have no fault in him. And the Jews answered, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. A week earlier, what are they singing? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, we see that in chapter 12. And a week later, they're yelling, crucify, crucify. We, we fickle people, man. Right? We, we're like, one day we're praising, the next day we're cursing. God, if you ain't worked it out for me, then you're a bad God. Things are going good, I praise you. God, it, turns, it just turns south in my life. Now, where are you, God? And here we see this verbal abuse, this rejection of Jesus through crucify, through crucify, through crucify. They gave a, a verbal condemnation of Jesus. We want his head. Listen, we want his head. We don't want his heart. Crucify him. Crucify him. And only one thing would satisfy the hunger of these men, and it was death. It was death. By this time, Jesus is a, is a bloody mess. 
He's a bloody mess, standing before the crowd. And Isaiah gives this picture of that in Isaiah 50 through 14. He says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was even a man. He was so beaten, beaten to the pulp that they couldn't even recognize him. And, and they were amazed that this man was still able to stand and was still alive. And in the frustration, in his frustration, Pilate says, you kill him. You do it. Right? I find no fault in him. Yet they didn't have the right or authority under Roman government to do that. The Roman government took that authority away from him, right? This is Pilate's fame, claim to fame here. He's known in the story. Many, if anybody heard about the story, they know about Pilate. This is his legacy, right? He had a role in the crucifixion and of being this greatest man at this moment of all time to make the decision for Jesus. This weighed heavily on Pilate's heart, the decision he needed made. And we know that he made the wrong call. And historically, after this whole story, many believe that through historically, Pilate would later go commit suicide because of it. Shame and guilt and remorse, if it doesn't have a solution, leads to self-harm or death. Think about Judas, right? We know Judas, he's, he was a part of the crucifixion story. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, realizes what he does, tries to give his silver back, has regret and remorse, and then he ultimately goes and commits suicide. Like, we can feel guilt. We have nowhere to place that when we fall short. How do we deal that with in our hearts? Maybe there's things that we've done that we regret. Maybe there's things we've done that we're remorseful. Where are you putting that? Where are you placing that? Because you can't carry it. It was never meant to be carried. It was meant to be given away. He said, all those are heavy laden, heavy laden. Come unto you and I'll give you rest. Give me that issue. I will take that and give you something new. I will renew you. My prayer this morning, if you're battling guilt or regret this morning, we have a healer who restores and refreshes you. You don't have to carry that guilt or shame because he wants to clothe you with his robe of righteousness and his joy of salvation. And yet the religious leaders make their claim for his crucifixion. We see that in verse 7. They want to kill him because he claimed to be the son of God. So we see Jesus getting the death sentence here. Death sentence for us. Here's the second thing, guys. Pilate was afraid to face the truth. Pilate was afraid to face the truth. And some of us this morning, we have to, we have to look at the truth. We have to look at it for what it is because the truth will set you free. You can't live in denial. When you're struggling with addictions, you cannot live in denial. When you're struggling in sin, you cannot live in denial. What, but, but what happens is when we have to deal with the truth, it can be scary sometimes. Because when we deal with the truth, it's like a mirror. And we look in the mirror, we see ourselves for who we really are. So we can't cover it up, right? Come on, women, we look in the mirror and say, whoa, in the morning. I got to put something on here. Because I don't want people to see who I really am. Guys, we look at the mirror and say, oh, snap, I better comb my hair and brush my teeth because it's, it's steaming up the window. The mirror here. I, when I breathe, that green stuff comes out. You know what I mean? So, so we, we wash up, we shower up, we clean up. We want people to see who we really, we want to see people to see the finish, but not the, the stuff in process. 
Jesus says, no, I, I know the process. I know what you really look like. And my word is truth and my word is a mirror. So I'm putting this mirror up in front of you so you can see who you really are because you can't deny who you really are. But we got to deal with the truth. But we get scared of it. And what, you know what fear does? It immobilizes us. Because what fear is, is facts exaggerated above reason. And we start living in this fearful world. We start looking look around of it. And then we start living in the fear. That's what happened. That's what COVID did. It made us live in a, a fearful world. And when we often live in the world that there's unknowns, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if we get sick? Right? What if we get in a car accident? Guys, we can't live in that world, in the unknown world, right? Pilate was in some ways facing the unknown. And so because of his lack of faith, he operated in the human faith, earthly faith. He made decisions based on the natural man, not the spiritual man. But with that came anxiety and fear. And we know this, fear can be tormenting. John Willetta Wright, the one who wrote this book, says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not made perfect in love. When, we, when we're, we're fearful, that means our trust is in ourselves, but not in God. Because God is love. And when I sit under the shadow of the Almighty, his love protects me. I can take comfort and peace and say, this is a crazy storm out here going crazy, but my peace is found in the one who's got me in the palm of his hand. And I know he loves me. You know, you might feel like you're out in the ocean on that wave. As soon as you hit that one, when you get up, you get hit by another wave. Yeah, that's life can feel that. We can feel the tumble of that. And we see here, look what's going on. The first thing is Paul, I mean, Pilate is, it, it was afraid of the people. We see that in verse eight, right? Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid because they were yelling, crucify him. They were putting pressure on him. He was getting fearful about what was happening. But yet he still had to deal with the truth of who Jesus was. The thing about where Paul went wrong, I mean, Pilate went wrong, is that he feared men more than he feared God. He feared men more than he feared God. And I think people do that today, right? It says in Matthew 10, 28, it says, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. I think we lost a respect of who God is, a fearful respect, a reverent fear of God, because Pilate was more fearful of the words of men than the words of God. God has given us his truth. That's his words. We'll believe crazy people on TV you know, I, I listen to those people on TV that get counsel on marriage, but they've been married three times. Come on now. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the heck? Like, you're counselors, but you're third marriage. You don't even take your own advice. And then you're giving me counsel, right? You know, they're, they're all this stuff. You're reading all the tabloids and all this stuff. And everybody's looking to them like to say, oh, they must have the truth. And they're lost in the mess. We got to look at what the truth is. And Pilate was dealing with that, right? And Pilate was afraid of losing his power because he's feeling the pressure of Caesar and, and the Roman government and they were pressuring him. And you know that this situation was going to bring trouble on his politics and, and his position and all these different things. And then he begins to deal with the issue of power as a leader and Jesus is going to confront his power. You think you got power, but you got jack. You got nothing. 
you don't have, you don't, the power you think you have, you don't have. Look at verses 9 through 16. And this is, and he went again to the praetorium, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said, are you not, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, you could not have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, the one who is delivered to me to you has the greater sin. So again, Pilate's going back to a question he already asked him earlier. Who are you? Are you a king of the Jews? That was the question that, that Pilate asked Jesus earlier in 18. Jesus had already answered that question. He said, you are right, I am a king, but I'm not a king of this world. I'm a king of another world, and I'm calling you to understand that, but you don't understand because you have the mind of men rather than the mind of God. But I love it. When he asked the question a second time, Jesus remained silent. He didn't answer it again. I, I told you the truth once, but God knows our hearts already. I'm not going to play this game. <laughs> I'm not going to go in circles with you. You ever been in conversation with somebody and they just want to go in circles? Come on, come on. I'm like, I'm not going to play this merry-go-round with you. We're going in circles, but going nowhere. That's right, that's right. Isaiah 53.7 says, he, he was opposed, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was led to a lamb to be slaughtered. Right? Jesus knew the heart of people. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And he's looking for those who are looking for the truth. But those who aren't looking for the truth, he's not going to be revealed. But Jesus, you know what? I think Pilate wasn't really looking for the truth. He was looking for a way out. <laughs> You're right. I think when people get in trouble, then they call on God, right? I shared on Friday night. Thanks for all those came out to prayer on Friday night. It was amazing. You know, we, we, prayer to us, for some of us, is like a spare tire. We're going to pull it out when we need it. Right? God, God. I need your help right now, God. I need your help. Help me out right now. Come on now. I, I, I need your help. You only need, you're trying to ask, you're trying to manipulate God to help you in your situation. Then what happens? He helps you in your situation. Then you go back to your mess again. Now, I say that because that's exactly what Israel did in the Old Testament. They, they in a mess, God pulls them out and they go back to their mess. It's like the dog that returns to his own vomit. And so we have to be careful. Pilate isn't looking for the truth. He's just looking for a way out. And yet now Pilate's wielding his, his power. He's like, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or release you? He ain't got jack, Pilate. You don't even know. You're, you're talking to the creator of the world. You have no power. I love it. I love in the psalmist, I think it's Psalm 2 or 3, it says this, that God laughs. It says that the nations plot against God and God, it says, God laughs from the heavens. I think God sit in the heavens and said, my creation wants to come against me. You know, when, when I, I love this picture because when I, I'm a father and my kids are really small and when I used to wrestle with them and they wanted to overtake dad. Like we used to play like wrestling and they wanted, they all jump and they're going to get dad and they're jumping. I'm like, bang, bang, bang. Kids are flying everywhere. Bang, bang. Come on, pops. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I see God in heaven laughing. Are you serious? Bring out the little guns. Yeah. God is laughing. I think Jesus in his heart is saying, really, Pilate? You think you got this power? You ain't got nothing on God. 
you only got what God gives you. Let me, let me just, let's just make it plain. Let's just make it truthful. Let me just bring it straight to you. I'm not going to beat around the bush with you. And we see that here as he's trying to yield his power, right? And now Jesus is speaking. He didn't speak in a moment. Now he's speaking truth. And Jesus knows the right thing to say at the right time. When we pray and we go out and serve, just pray a second. Just give me a word. I, just give me a word just to speak at the right time, Lord, that would touch the heart. That would touch the heart. Mm. But I love in, he, in this verse, Jesus gives an indictment on those that are trying to crucify him, right? You know, yeah, you're, you don't got it all right, Pilate, but let me tell you, the guys that are trying to crucify me, judgment's going to come on them. Their sin, their sin is even crazier than yours, <laughs> right? And Pilate here, we know in the story, Pilate begins to, to, to fail. Pilate fails to quit because of the pressure of the crowd. Look at 12 through 16. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes him a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Uh-oh. Then they delivered him to them to be, cru to be crucified. And then they took Jesus and they led him away. Ooh, now the religious leaders are men trying to manipulate Pilate. We see that in verse 12, right? They're bringing an indictment on Jesus, man, and, and, and then now they're bringing an indictment on Paul. Paul, Paul, if you don't, you don't, you don't do what we say, you're, you're an old friend of Caesar's, right? They're calling, they're calling Pilate out. You're going to be a traitor to Caesar's. Yet this whole time, Pilate's trying to get releasing Jesus. In fact, his wife even told him in a dream, she had a dream, and then she comes back and says to her husband, hey, sweetie, honey, have nothing to do with this man. You won't get in trouble. Husbands, when your wife have that dream, I'm telling you, you better listen. When my wife comes to me and says, hey, man, I, I want you to think different about this. I'm listening. Because I think sometimes women have discernment that men don't always have. And, 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 and when my wife speaks, like H.E. Huffman, I'll listen. Like that insurance, but when they speak, I listen. Okay, honey, what, what you saying here? Show, tell me what you're talking about. And we see that here, right? And then Pilate takes Jesus and puts him on the judgment seat. He, he's on the hot seat, right? He's going to be he's going to be judged, though he's done nothing. Interesting, though. Pilate thinks he's going to judge Jesus. Jesus is really going to judge Pilate. <laughs> the one that's on the hot seat is really Pilate. The ones on the hot seat is really the Jewish people trying to crucify him. This was the Passover time, the preparation of the Passover time. They were trying to get ready because that night they were going to go through their religious practices. A lot of people go through religious practices and yet don't even know what they're practicing. They don't even know who they're worshiping. Right? And he says, here's your king, Pilate says. He wants to release him. I think there's this mental process going on with Pilate. He's, he's beginning to crack under the verbal pressure of the religious leaders. We have no king but Caesar. That's what the Jews said. We have no king but Caesar. The Jews hated the Roman government. But right now, they're in love. They're sleeping, they're sleeping with the enemy. Right? We have no king but Caesar. They're rejecting the true God. They didn't say, Jesus is not God. I believe in Jehovah God. They didn't say that. They said, no. 
we believe in Caesar. They just violated one of their own Ten Commandments to put no other things before God, no idols before God. They just violated that commandment. And they rejected the one they were supposed to worship. I think it's a symbol of what happened in the Old Testament when God's people wanted an earthly king and not a heavenly king. And that's why we got Saul. <laughs> he says, you want a man to lead you instead of me to lead you? Okay, I'll give you a man. And he just, he just enslaved them. And they've had nothing to trouble since then. We have a king that wants to rule. <laughs> Don't replace him for anything else. Right? And so the Jews are getting ready for the Passover, right? But yet their wickedness, will God, will be used for the good. And as we begin to close in verses 17 to 24, everything that's happening in the story is prophetic. Jesus' sacrifice was prophetic. You ever heard that? People say, oh, man, I just had deja vu. You ever heard that term before? You know what that means? I've seen this before. I don't know if it was a dream or I've seen this before, right? Jesus can reflect on what's happening in a, in a deja vu. I'm kind of playing with the word a little bit, but He's going to foretell from the Old Testament. It was, the Old Testament was a sneak preview of what was going to happen in the, in the New Testament. They, they, they were familiar with it because they were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures of what was to come. You know, when you go to movies, you get a sneak preview of what the next movies were going to come out. The Old Testament was a sneak preview to the, to the New Testament. And they're having a deja vu. And Jesus can say, let me tell you about these deja vu moments here, Right? See, Jesus was sacrificed in a mountain of death between two thieves. We see that, this is in 17, and he bearing his cross, they say, let him, they let him out now. He's, he says, we're going to crucify him, send him out. Now he's bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. So now Jesus leaves the praetorium. He leaves his, uh, the judgment seat. Now, some people think, we have, in our movies, we think it's a big cross, like this cross beam he's carrying. Actually, it's just probably the cross bar. And he's just carrying this big log on his shoulder. He's carrying it, going through the Via Della Rosa. For those who, who've never been to Israel, there's a road that you go through the city that takes you outside the city because they had to, if that man was carrying and a die on a tree, they thought he was a curse. We'll get into that next week. But he's, he's carrying this log and he's carrying it and to take him outside the city to be crucified on Mount Moriah, which is where, if you look at Old Testament story, it's where Abraham wanted to sacrifice his son Isaac. Same mountain in the Old Testament that we see the sacrifice of his son Isaac is the same mountain that Jesus is going to be crucified. We see the sneak preview of what is to come. And he's carrying this thing and he, he's carrying it, right? And then it says here that he's carrying it to a place called Golgotha, the, the place of the skull. In fact, the Latin, it means Calvary. That's where we get, he went to Calvary, died on Calvary. The mountain was called Calvary by means of Via Della Rosa. They got there. And so in that practice of that day, before they put a man on the cross, they made him carry his cross. And then Jesus would often reference, reference this picture to those who wanted to follow him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. <laughs> there was some death that needed to take place, right? They, they, see, for us as believers, we come to the, to the cross. We have that moment of the cross because the cross is where we have the crossroads of our life. And that's at the cross here. Jesus knew that, he could, that this could be the death sentence for some of his followers. If you want to be my followers, he knew that this was a death sentence for them because they were going to get harassed and be persecuted for following him. And yet the requirement to be his witnesses 
And the word witness means martyred. John uh, Acts 1.8 says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. The word witness means martyr or martyrdom. That to follow Jesus is going to be costly. It's going to be costly. I'm not going to lie. But you need to go to Calvary to follow me. It would take a Calvary-like experience to understand this faith walk. We're going to have to have a moment with God that explains this faith walk. And so we need to be his martyrs. Why? Because we need to lay down our lives as sacrificial offerings to be his disciples because there's a cost. That's how we become a living sacrifice. That's why the author Romans says this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Our lives or to be given an act of worship to serve, to love him, and to love others. That's why we're doing all the things we're doing this week. We're having a barbecue just to hang out with our neighbors and see what God does. We're going into the public schools to bless the teachers, and we're going to laundromats to play, to pay people's laundries, and we're going to, to coffee shops to give people coffee and just say, you know what? God loves you. As simple as that. If you want to talk about it more, we're willing to talk. I'm not going to shove this down your throat. I'm not going to have signs. I'm not going to protest you. I'm not going to do any of that. Jesus sat down and had meals with people. That's why we're having a meal in the parking lot, because that's what Jesus did. And he hung out with tax collectors and sinners, and they blasted him for it, and they hung him for it. You drunkard, you evildoer, you, you're this, and they slandered him for it. And yet, that's what we're called to do, is keeping the gospel simple. And John, John doesn't give the full picture of, of this story. We know on the journey to the cross, there's a man, Cyrenus, Cyrene, who helped him carry the cross because he couldn't. We, we know that story. You have to look at the other Gospels to, to see that picture. But I, I find it very interesting. This crucifixion was the, was the worst for criminals. It was created by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans. It was the most violent way to die. If an autopsy were performed by a doctor, this would, this would be the results. Death from crucifixion could come from many sources. Acute shock from blood loss, being too exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, stress-induced heart attack, or congestive heart failure leading up to cardiac rupture. In fact, the Roman practice is if a victim did not die quickly enough, the legs were broken, and the victim was soon unable to breathe and die of suffocation. So if you're on a cross, and they would put, they think, think it was a hand, it wasn't, it probably was right here, right? You're on the cross, they bend your knees, they put the nail through, and there was a little, there was a little board under the feet. And what they would do, the criminals, they would hang, and then when they need to breathe, they push with their legs, and they would take a breath, and then they would die. And, they, and what happens, after a period of time, they were suffering. If they didn't die, the Roman soldiers would come and take a club and break the legs so they couldn't push themselves up anymore. And when they came to do Jesus, to do that very act, Jesus was already dead. And the Old Testament says that no one of his bones were broken. <laughs> Talking about this very act. The, the, the Old Testament also says that he would be numbered with the transgressors, right? Isaiah 53, 5 says he's going to die numbered with the transgressors. He was crucified between two thieves, and Jesus would be in the middle. I think Jesus would have it no other way. <laughs> he's always hanging out with thieves and all the crazy people that nobody likes. Why not just die with them? You know what I mean? Because that's who he was, Right? Jesus came for the lost. He came for the sick. He came for those who, who knew they were spiritually bankrupt. He came for you and me. And Jesus is in the center. He died between them. He's in the center. Why? Because he's the mediator between man and God. He's the, he's the bridge between man and God. He's, he's the salvation for criminals and, and all that. Like, if you think you're good, 
I got the truth for you. <laughs> I hope you're perfect. I hope you're perfect because that's the way good is. And no one's perfect. God says, no one's perfect. No, not one. So we're all criminal in our heart in some ways. We've been rebellious in some ways. And we fall one area of the law, we've fallen all. So we're all criminalized. We're all lawless. That's why we need a mediator. We need one who, to advocate for us. And Jesus here, the, the reason why Jesus was killed was because he was a king. Now Pilate wrote title and put it on the cross. And writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. Just Pilate just writes down the cause of this criminal's death. So you have the cross, and on top of it was this paper uh, where they wrote his, why he was dying, his charges, right? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. It was written in the languages of the day, and the gospel could preach to every nation, and his death was for every tribe, tongue, and nation. This death was going to go global. Because that was the global world at the time, right? Hebrew or Aramaic Hebrew was for the Jews. Greek was for the Gentiles and Latin was for the Rome, Romans. He's saying, yeah, I am king of the Jews to everybody. <laughs> That's what they're charging me for. And yet the chief priest disputed that. Don't put that down. Now, now Pilate gets a little courage, right? It is, and that's just the way it's going to be. He got courageous for the wrong things, right? And yet Jesus' sacrifice was a fulfillment of prophecy, 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. And now the tunic was without seams, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore among the cells, let us tear it. Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, who it shall be. And then the scriptures, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which say... When he went to the cross at that moment, remember he had a crown? Maybe he had a robe, tunics, he had all that. Can you imagine if your body's been ripped apart? Have you ever got to cut and put a Band-Aid on it? Now you put a cloth on the open wounds, and now they're going to strip you naked? Most criminals were crucified naked, and they take the robe and they go, and they strip the robe off of him, and all that was part of that comes right off the flesh comes right off his body, body, and he's stripped naked. Why? Because Jesus lost everything on our behalf. He became poor that we might become rich. He became naked that we might be clothed in his righteousness. But what was happening? They took it, and they got his garment. They realized it was so valuable because it had no seam. This purple robe, all these garments, they stripped everything, no seam. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, for those who've been studying the book of Hebrews in the temple, a lot of the garments in the temple were, were made of this no-seen garments in the temple and clothed in the temple, and they would wear all that because he was a priestly, Jesus was a high priest of, of the day, symbolic of that, right? And they take it, and they're talking about this garment, this garment's value, let's not tear it, it's too valuable, let's play, uh, let's gamble for it. They were here, Jesus is dying on the cross, and they're playing games. They're playing games at the foot of the Jesus. They're playing games at the foot of the cross. And they're casting lots. They're, they're playing games, right? 
Psalm 22, 18 talks about their very issue of gambling for his clothes. The Savior of the world is dying before them, and they're gambling for all his earthly possessions at his feet. Guys, what are we doing today? Jesus has died before us. Are we playing games with him? <laughs> are we playing Russian roulette with him? Are we gambling our lives away? For, sake, for receiving for this, what the world offers instead of what he offers? Are we any better for what we have than what he wants to give? It's not time to play games anymore. It's not. He loves us and gave it all for us. But what are you willing to gamble? Are you willing to gamble on others rather than Christ? Apart from Christ, your life is like Russian roulette until, you, until you're called on by Jesus. It's only a matter of time before the gun goes off. I would say, if you've been watching March Madness, there's a lot of gambling going on in that game. What they didn't count on was that a lot of high seeds we're going to beat a lot of the low seeds. There is not num no number one seed left in that tournament. It jacked up the whole gambling world. It ruined the whole gambling thing. Let me tell you something. Bet on Jesus. That's a first sure deal. It is, it is a win for everyone. And so I leave you with this thought as we close this morning. We'll partake of communion. I know Pastor Scott's going to lead us this morning. Jesus' death sentence was for our salvation. He had to die so we can gain Jesus is a hard truth to swallow. Yeah, we got to look at some truth about who he is and what he did because he is the truth and the truth will set you free. And lastly, guys, Jesus' sacrifice validated by prophecy. He's a real person that really died for us and he was spoken in the past for our presence. So my challenge to you this morning, if you're here, that you would consider Jesus. He's speaking to you this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your love and blessings. Thank you for all that are here, Lord. I pray that the word of God has fallen on good soil. I pray that the word of God this morning is touching the hearts of men and women that are in this room. And Father, you brought them here for a purpose because you wanted to pour out your hope on them. You want to pour out goodness and blessings upon them. So I pray blessings upon your people this morning. And uh, Lord, may they know that they're loved by you and they're loved by others. Again, we thank you for today. If you never made that confession of faith and you want that, talk to one of the pastors up here. We'll talk to you. But even this morning, if you want that, I'll pray for you. If you want to just say, man, I just want that, just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody here? I see you. I see you in the back. Anybody else? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your love and blessings. I pray for your people. Touch them, Lord, as they called upon your name, as they gave listening ears. Bless their ears and bless their hearts. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.